Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On, PFF's College Football Show. I'm your host, Max Chowk, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman. And we've got a very, very special guest on right now, Nicole Arbeck, who is a senior writer for The Athletic. She's a college football insider for NBC Sports, a studio analyst for the Big Ten Network, and a host for SiriusXM. She does it all. She's an absolute superstar. Nicole, thank you so much for joining our show. Yeah, happy to be here. Of course. So the first question we wanted to ask you. So a couple of days ago, Dalton and I released a video breaking down our top 10 teams in the country. Wildly different lists. I had Georgia at number one. He had Georgia at number four. He had Michigan at number one. You have Michigan and Georgia at four and five in your ranking. Who do you think right now deserves to have that number one next to their name right now? I mean, I think you could make the case for like seven or eight different teams, <laughs> and I would not fault anyone it really just like depends on what you decide you value so like i understand why some people still have georgia there because two-time defending national champs you believe the talents there like you know you're not too worried about the slow starts defense you believe in i get all of that and michigan against nebraska like looked the best that we've seen them all season that was a complete performance from them that's exactly the way that they're going to win games like at peak performance and maybe even not quite there because I'm sure they can add like a little bit more of the vertical passing game. But what I'm doing for now, and I reserve the right to change my mind at any given point, is I'm relying it on the resumes so far. So I have FSU at number one still. Love it. Even though they didn't look great against Boston College and it was tough to beat Clemson, I still think that Clemson win is going to be a good win. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a top 25 team. I think they will win a lot of games here the rest of the way. Plus the win over LSU, which I know LSU has lost now twice. But still, those are two of the best wins in the country. So I'm giving them the edge there. Plus, I just I, I believe in them. And I, I just think they're incredibly talented. And Jordan Travis has been banged up. Uh, and then I go, then the question is, so then, like, obviously, you could also make a case for Washington. Because mm-hmm. outside of, like, their shaky performance in the desert, they've looked the part of the best team in the country. But their resume isn't quite there, although they've just absolutely destroyed Power 5 opponents. And then you have Texas, too, which I know a lot of people have also put at number one. And they will definitely be the number one team in the country, I think, universally, if they beat Oklahoma. Because, you know, Oklahoma's playing really well, the undefeated, biggest game of the weekend, everyone will be watching them. But I also understand making the case for them, too, because of the strength of their win against Alabama, the way that they crushed Kansas, even though Jalen Daniels wasn't there. So... I say all this to say I go back and forth on this all the time. Like, it feels incredibly wide open. I think you could even make a case for Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. If you believe that they're the actual favorite in the Pac-12 right now and that they have the best defense and that they could win that league, well, I think the Pac-12 champ is going to be in the playoffs. So, therefore, you can make a case for Oregon. So, uh, it's so wide open, and we also have a lot of data, which is not usually the case. Like, that's why I think in most years we would just have Georgia or Michigan just still being up at number one. But this year you can make the case for the teams that have played people. You could make yep. the case for Ohio State. You can make the case for Florida State. You can make the case for Texas. And uh, so I've been leaning in that direction. Um, but again, like it's it's such a crapshoot this year, which I actually love. But it feels really questionable. And I don't think anyone should get that mad at anyone for any of their takes <laughs> on this because I, I legitimately think you can make a case for like eight teams. Easily. I, I totally agree, Nicole. I think the most fascinating argument to me is Georgia because you've got the reputation two-time defending national champion thing versus 
the eye test, really. They they haven't so far in several games looked like the best team. And to be honest, I like that it's resume-based even this early because, you know, after week 12 and 13 in conference championships, we're going to base this on fully on resume as opposed to the brand and the reputation and all that stuff in 2022 and even 21 for some teams. The resume is what matters and, and I think it's this early we can kind of try to parse together who the best teams are. But at the end of the day, that's what it's going to be. So I really do like that it's based on that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I was just going to say, um, you know, I was talking to a head coach, a uh, Power 5 head coach, who made a point to me that, like, this is kind of going to be the case where, like, it's going to take us a month to figure out who's playing well and different things. He was just talking about how, like, Obviously, he's pro player safety, so it wasn't a complaint, but just the lack of actually tackling in fall camp now, he was just saying, like, it takes a while for him to even know, like, what his team has and their strengths. So I think, like, we're just have to gonna live in this world where it's going to take a while for things to emerge of, like, who's actually talented and where, because I think the teams are still growing, and that's also part of the, the fun slash chaos. Of course. And Nicole, as someone who took a lot of heat over the summer because I had Florida State really high in my preseason ranking, I'm very, very happy that you joined me and having the Seminoles so high right now because I, I agree with you. I think they are certainly a national championship contender for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they probably have the clearest path right now. Yeah. I, you know, obviously there's there's good teams in the ACC and I, the, the race might be more interesting than we expected since Clemson already has two losses. But to me, Florida State has, you know, the two feathers in their cap already, and if they just win out, I think they could even lose the game, and they'll be in the CFP. And then I guess, honestly, the second easiest path might be Texas. If they win yeah. this week, they'll be heavy favorites in every other game that they play. Their resume would already essentially be complete, and I buy them too. Like, I, I think that we're possibly headed to a world where, like, there's more than four qualified teams for the CFP as well, which we haven't always had. But, like, to me, the, those two, like, it's not, not that you just want to pencil people in and the sport is weird, upsets happen, but FSU and Texas have already done a lot, I think, for their standing, their resumes, their rankings. Yeah. It's a good point, and, and I think I think it's it's still so early. It's so wide open. I'll tell you what it's early for, too, the Heisman race. And, obviously, the talk all summer was about Caleb Williams really having the best shot maybe to be the second repeat winner ever. Only Archie Griffin almost 50 years ago did it twice. Is there? Do you think Caleb Williams with 21 touchdowns and just one interception is the favorite and, and not necessarily a lock, but is he the front runner to repeat as the Heisman winner or is there someone else you might have ahead of him? So I think... I think he's probably the front runner right now. I, I can see a case made for Michael Penix Jr. as well. Like I think that those two are probably the favorites right now. But I've been we do a straw poll over at the Athletic each week. We start like week four, week five, and I've been voting Caleb Williams, then Michael Penix, then Cam Ward. And I really hope Cam Ward gets in the mix here. Um he's having an incredible season and like you know, Wazoo could could really contend in the Pac-12. They might go from being like a great little story here to like an actual force in this in this conference race. Um, but I think that Caleb is probably going to be that default option for a lot of people for a long time because you know he is a walking highlight reel. Like he's always going to do something in every game, some sort of scramble, and then he throws like a fifty-yard bomb off his back foot or something. So you're going to see it first of all, and then I think now. Yet again, we are all very aware, painfully aware of how bad the USC defense is. So just so much 
falls on his shoulders because they're going to give up a lot of big plays. They're going to give up a lot of points. So he's going to have a lot of opportunities to to dazzle. So I, I think for sure he's going to be in New York. I think he'll have a good chance to repeat, you know, again, unless they lose, let's say they lose like three games and, you know, Washington or Oregon or somebody else is the class of the conference, then I could see it changing. But I, I can't imagine that, like, we're going to see him fall off personally, like individually, talent-wise. Like, he's going to do something special every single game, and, and we're going to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Nicole, listen, you're already a friend of the program for even coming on the show. Now you're probably a best friend of the program because we love Cam Ward. We actually just did an interview with Cam Ward a couple days ago. He, as good as he is on the uh, as on the field, he is a fantastic guy off the field as well. Love that. He's a cool, love that. cool I, I love I love watching him. It was like almost like it's like kind of like a secret, although now like yep. it's not as much of a secret, but glad we started this I'm, I'm so glad because you know he was a guy who only had two fcs offers coming out of high school and i actually talked to him about that he's like listen man i have i still have hatred for coaches who didn't offer me coming out of high school so he plays with a big chip on his shoulder so he is fantastic and yeah that heisman honestly i could see the heisman uh in new york the ceremony just be packed 12 quarterbacks honestly it could be bo nix there it could be Penix, yeah. it could be caleb williams it's insane what this pac-12 conference has Shador sanders is lighting it up as well too uh, it's insane what the pac-12 conference has right now I, I love it. I mean, this is what we were hoping, right? All off season, as you look on paper, like how talented these teams should be, but also the quarterbacks, like to your point about how it could be all Pac-12 quarterbacks in New York. That's the reason why this league is, I think the best league this year and the deepest league this year. And people want to talk about like, oh, the SEC is down or the middle of the big 10 is down. Those are true. And, and they don't have the quarterbacks. The right. quarterbacks are all out West. They either transferred out there or have been kind of building up through the system. But, like, that's why that league is so strong. I mean, it's these offenses. They're super high-powered. Um, and it's just insanely fun to watch. And it just it sucks, of course, that it's the last year of the Pac-12 as we know it, that all of this is happening. But, like, you could see it on paper, and especially the way that these teams started to play at the end of last year, or even really all last season. Like, I was staying up every single Saturday because something cool and crazy was yeah. happening out west. But then the bowl season, everything was just sort of building towards this. So I think it's really awesome that the teams that we thought were going to be good are good. Um, and you just have like such depth in this league. It just gives you, you know, at least one, two or three monster games each week, it feels like. Yeah. Absolutely. So going to the other side of the ball real quickly, though, um, there have been defenses that have been carrying teams to victory, like Alabama, Penn State ha has really had a great defense as well. In your opinion, who has been the most impressive maybe on that side of the ball so far this season? Well, I, I'll, I'll start first with Penn State, um, as you mentioned them, because, you know, watching that Northwestern game was tough, right? Like yeah. they are struggling a lot in the first half. You know, Drew Aller is going through these growing pains. Um, still have a lot of faith in him. But the defense has just been, like, so good at getting in the backfield, so good at, at pressure. It's the tackles for loss, it's the sacks. It's that type of a defense. And then, obviously, they have, like, individual defensive stars at every level, which I love to watch as well. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's other defenses like Michigan, right, that's yeah. just absolutely suffocating. Like, they're incredibly comfortable just winning a game. Again, like, the Nebraska game was kind of them, like, firing on all cylinders. But Jim Harbaugh is giddy if they win a game like 13 to 3, right? Because as long as they're controlling the game at the line of scrimmage on both sides, he's good with that. And I really love Mike Sander still uh, at Michigan and kind of the spark that he provides. But, you know, I think there's just it, – it's, it's, it's an interesting question in a year that we've just spent all of this time talking about all of these great offenses and these quarterbacks because 
I do think that the defense is going to be ultimately, you know, we're going to see it like winning conference uh, championships. I mean, like, for again, Georgia's defense has been part of the reason they've survived these slow starts, right? So you got to feel good about that. Um, again, Alabama, you mentioned, I think Texas has improved yeah. defensively, you know, up front, especially that's been part of their growth. I think Oregon, I trust Oregon's defense the most out of the top teams in the Pac-12. So it's going to factor in, um, but it definitely does feel like one of those years where the advantage goes to to the offense. And listen, another defense that I'm intrigued by, but I'm not so, sh- you know, not 100% sold is Ohio State. Like that game against Notre Dame was much lower scoring and and more physical and all those things than I was expecting it to be. But Ohio State, you know, we 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 wait and we see if they've improved. We've seen, you know, okay, can they stop giving up big plays? You know, how are they on the back end? Like they'll be tested with Maryland. And I think like it's that's why I'm actually really excited about this game in Columbus this weekend, because Maryland's improved on both sides. And yes, Talia Tagovailoa like tends to throw interceptions, but like he can stress that defense. Like he can the big explosive plays that we always worry about Ohio State giving up, Maryland is capable of. So I feel like after we see them play this type of offense, I'll have a better sense of whether or not I do trust the defensive improvements that like on the stat sheet have shown up for the Buckeyes, and we've been waiting like multiple years to see them. Um, but you know, I think that they're probably the one that jury's still out for me, but I have faith that it could be significantly better. So I find it interesting that there's such a contrast right now that you have, you have several teams near the top that are high flying, right? Washington, Oregon, USC, Florida state, right? And you have several teams that look like defensive teams that need to manage the game on offense, right? Georgia and Bama and these big 10 teams. And even to an extent, we've been talking about Texas in the same manner of actually when, you know, we've dug into some of the numbers and they kind of look like one of those defensive teams. I'm really intrigued by those, those big three though, in the big 10. And I know, I know you just kind of stated some of your doubts on on Ohio state. Is there one of those three units that you'd say maybe now is clearly the best one, or do we just need to wait and see them play each other? Yeah, that's so it's so hard because like we we're just like anticipating these games when they finally play each other. I think I would default to Michigan's um, just based on what we've seen so far, what we've seen from the last couple of years. And they are different. They're built differently. Their strengths are different, but they just are really able to control those games and just kind of like suck the life out of the other team. Um, and they they have that, you know, pick six ability. They have the pressure. They kind of have all those pieces, and it just seemed very reliable. I, I think that, like, some of the, you know, again, I, I love, like, how much Penn State is in the backfield um, and the negative negative plays. But I think I would still, you know, if I had to like pick pick a defense to build my team around or, or you know, bet money on it, I would I would pick Michigan for now. And that's also in part based on like how they've beaten Ohio State and Penn State over the last couple of years. But it's going to be really interesting when those teams meet because obviously, like you know, it's, it's it was really interesting. I thought James Franklin said like the most interesting thing anyone said last year about like these three teams. He said that they had been building their roster recruiting the body types for like defensive line for how ohio state was playing and then michigan does it totally differently so like they they didn't have quite the right type of player and like the build for the way that michigan tries to bully the ball and 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 run it up the middle and kind of you know again just like control the game that way and not just get guys out in space like ohio state does so that's really interesting to me as for penn state trying to get one of them 
you know, how do they do it? What are they built best for this year? And I think that'll be interesting too. Definitely. No, but yeah, big time. I, I think when you have teams trying to find their identity and then find their identity and fit it to the opponent, that's that's almost just as hard a part, you know, in recruiting more than finding talent is finding that fit. That's that's really interesting, actually. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was the most interesting thing anyone said because, like, we've seen Ohio State fall short, and like, obviously, I think a lot of the like Ryan Day physicality and like the defensiveness about Lou Holtz is based on those Michigan games. But, like, Penn State has to live it, right? And they have to recruit, and then you have to wait and see those guys get there and develop around it. So I can't wait for those games this year because, you know, I think Penn State's going to have a really good chance to to get one of those games. That's the next step for them. Um, I also think Maryland's improved. I think they're going to be a tough out for, for those teams too. Nicole, I, I again, I really agree with you. I have Maryland in my top 20 in my ranking right now. I, I think that it's, it's criminal that they're not in the top 25 right now. So I think Ohio State should be uh, – on the lookout this week, it's not just going to be another cupcake that they usually get with Maryland. I think Maryland, like I said, is, is a much, much improved team. So, yeah, I agree with you. They're, I think they're a top 20 team in college football right now. Yeah, so, I do too. I can't believe they weren't ranked, by the way. That's like just it's, absolutely yeah, It's awful. It's, it's terrible. Another team that kind of fits in this bubble, defense first, running the ball, trying to figure out a quarterback is Alabama, right? And, and we saw them lose pretty handily to Texas. We saw the debacle that happened at USF with the two backup quarterbacks. Now that they've picked the right quarterback and they've kind of centered their team around defense and running the ball and kind of the old school Saban mentality, do you think they've kind of figured it out and can keep this thing rolling back into playoff contention? Uh, well, first of all, I apologize if they're squeaking in the background. My dog has gotten into a toy, which of course, like all day, he's fine. And then you like <laughs> need to record a podcast and he starts playing with his toys. Um, so for Alabama, like I don't think that this is a playoff caliber roster. Obviously, they played a lot better in the last two weeks. And the, the win over Ole Miss probably going to be a really big one. Yeah. I, I think Ole Miss could be among I, – I, very hard to like power rank the top of the SEC right now. But um, – I, I just – I don't think that they're built the way – like, I don't think we needed to, you know, kind of, like, write that the dynasty was over when they lost to Texas and then they really struggled against USF. But the roster feels different. Like, they're not dominating at the line of scrimmage in the same way that they have and just kind of bullying you offensively. You know, do they have multiple first-round picks at receiver? You know, is the quarterback of the caliber that we're used to seeing? Like, none of that's really there. And – there's just questions about that because okay well in a transfer portal world um in an nil world maybe you guys are making different decisions or maybe recruits are just going to georgia instead of alabama guys that would have gone there five years ago or seven years ago so it's it, it's probably a lot of different factors but i just i i don't see this as a playoff team i think georgia's the playoff team out of the sec i don't think there's a second one and i'd be shocked if if georgia doesn't win at all yeah or win sorry win the sec Win it all, who knows? I, th this feels like a very wide-open national championship race. But, yeah, I, I only I only think there's one team in the SEC of that caliber, would at least say, that I've seen. Would you say Alabama is still your pick to win the SEC West this year, or do you think there's another team that will come out of there? Um, It's pro probably yes. Um, I mean, again, I, I think LSU is disappointed. Yeah. I was surprised at what we saw against Ole Miss, and especially just, like, how porous that defense was. Um thought we'd see a lot more so they were my preseason pick to come out of the west mm -hmm. but now that 
Alabama's already beat Ole Miss, and then Ole Miss has beat LSU, and you know you're kind of just like going through a circle of who's beat who. I, I do think it'll probably be Alabama, um, and you know maybe the tiebreaker is the Ole Miss win or something like that. But I just I don't see that team matching up well against Georgia, even yeah. with the slow starts, even with their own issues. It, they're just the roster is built differently right now, and they just have been more reliable in in their strengths. So. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I guess I am convincing myself that it will be Alabama, uh, in Atlanta. That's fair. So they're playing Texas A&M, obviously this week going to be a tough game at, you know, the 12th man. It's always tight between these two teams and off the field. We've seen all the drama, the relationship between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher is tense to say the least. And it seems to be a theme, especially this year with all the head coaches in the spotlight off the field, Dion and his theme music, Saban and Jimbo, Dan Lanning with the speech, Ryan Day and Lou Holtz. Curious as an insider, do you have a favorite interview or a favorite story of something like that that you've experienced from a head coach? Of getting screamed at, <laughs> getting <laughs> yelled at like that. Um, the feuds, the feuds have been great. Um, I have enjoyed a lot of the pettiness. It was like a couple Saturdays ago. I was a little curious why all the octogenarians were the ones, you know, getting the subject of everybody's wrath. Um, but no, I mean, I think in general, like we've all, you know, coaches, have, coaches are emotional, especially you know, in or after games, um, and and they get upset about different things. I haven't had it happen to me too too often, but I some of my best friends in this industry are sideline reporters who have definitely gotten it um especially at halftime or right after a game with some of these coaches i mean you're just so tightly wound and um you know it's the last thing you want to do is talk to someone and, and talk into a microphone um so I, I don't have any that come to mind but i will say my favorite from this season so far was the Ryan Day on yeah. the field in South Bend because I was unaware of what Luke Holtz had said. I didn't even like <laughs> see it coming in. So it was uh, like the shock of his reaction. We don't usually see him that way. And then having to look it up, realize like this is what he's teeing off on. And like he was clearly like carrying it with him the whole day and was just like super upset about it. Um, so that one's been my favorite one for this year. But there's some good all timers and, uh, you know, like the I'm a man on 40 anniversary was, oh was a few God. weeks ago. And that's just an all time, all time rant. Yeah. Um, I know both sides of that one. So, yeah, that hasn't I thank God I haven't been on the receiving end of like a viral rant that uh, I will I will be happy about that part. I'm glad you have it. And speaking of those silent reports, I don't think there's a scarier job in the country than talking to Nick Saban at the sideline after Alabama's we had a, yes. a poor first half. That is a, you know. I'm not going to quit asking that one comes to mind where I'm like, man, I feel so bad because I would, I'd be terrified if I was outside of that reporter. But speaking of head coaches, I mean, you are a college football insider. It's not silly season yet, which is, you know, almost as good as a co actual college football season, but there are a couple power five openings right now in the big 10 uh, in Michigan state and Northwestern. Your colleague, Bruce Feldman already came out and said urban Meyer is not interested in the Michigan state job. Unlike what a lot of other people have been saying, what are, how just how attractive do you think those two jobs are and who are some of the guys that we should keep an eye out for those two jobs eventually yeah i mean i think michigan state is an attractive job um you know it's a place that's had success made the playoff in the 14 era um the resources commitment recruiting base you know all of that's there and Northwestern's an interesting one because just all of the academic schools that that are going to have their own unique challenges with like taking in transfers and the type of athlete they recruit, uh, type of student they recruit, they're they're kind of going to always be that way as well. And I, but here's the thing: like this is going to be a really interesting cycle because 
we are going to see some of the aftermath of like the realignment decisions and like these big media contracts because you know i think that some of the names that make a lot of sense for michigan state the program builders the coaches who have done more with less talent than some of their peers in their conference like a mike elko like a lance leipold um jake dickert jonathan smith like they're in positions where you could say okay well you know a step above the big 12 or the acc would be the big 10 or the sec um you know or like obviously those pack two schools are, are stranded on their own and they're trying to do all they can but you know, getting in, getting a life raft, getting a spot, getting a chance to be in the Big Ten or the SEC. Like, those are the leagues where they're going to be bringing in the most money. They're going to have the most resources. They're going to pay their coaches the most. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting test of seeing, you know, how much that plays in if Michigan State's able to sit higher again, like a sitting Big 12 or ACC coach. Like, that becomes an easy narrative. But, like, those are the types of coaches that I think that Michigan State can and should look like should look at because again you you want to have a culture be developing build and michigan state's best teams were they had like two three-star players and they developed them into nfl pros and like that's i think the mold and that's you know you're going to get good players but you still want to be the kind of person who can identify and and develop and like those coaches mike elko is kind of like the gold standard i'm the big elko person Um, I just think he does a really good job of that. And he's so analytical too. So like, they're also looking for advantages in their scheme. And one of the things that he told me when I went and spent time with him before last season was that before he got to Notre Dame and A&M, he'd always been at schools that were never going to have the most talented roster in their own division or their own conference or whatever. So they always had to maximize. And like, that's, I think about that a lot when I think about this Michigan state opening, because I think that's the way to do it and, and the way to win there and to not try to do it, you know, the same way Ohio state does it or the way that Michigan does it. Um, and then, you know, again, if you think about like Jake Dicker and Jonathan Smith, an interesting parallel for them is like, they have been the second school in the state. Right. And they've dealt with that dynamic of recruiting to that, um, selling your school, marketing donors, all of that. When, you know, there is, Oregon and there is Washington there. And so I think like understanding that dynamic in the state of Michigan is also really important. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's an attractive job. It's not like in that top, top tier of big 10 jobs, like the Michigan, Ohio state, Penn state, USC. But I think it's, it's, it's a good job. They care, they have the resources and it's one of the two leagues that everybody's going to want to get to. So, um, I, I do think that there'll be a lot of interest in that one. Absolutely. Nicole, this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys.